Let's bow again. Father, we do uh, pray that uh, we would stay focused on your son Jesus, that uh, we would fix our eyes on him, that he would be uh, our focus, our delight. Um, Lord, I pray now as we come to your word that uh, you would prepare our hearts, that we would uh, understand what you intended and we would respond as you desire. We ask you to bless this uh, message, bless your word as it goes out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, what would you think of uh, a father who doesn't protect their children from danger? There's a lot of danger out there these days. There's a lot of bad stuff going on in schools, a lot of bad stuff uh, going on in the, our society. Sin is certainly rampant. Certainly Satan is the ruler of this world. And uh, a good parents want to protect their kids. They want to protect their kids from evil and protect them from that. Well, praise the Lord, we have a good Father in heaven who desires to protect us from the threats to our relationship with him, to the threats uh, to our walk with Jesus Christ. Indeed, we're going to continue our look in the book of Colossians concerning how we are to keep from being taken spiritually captive and that we would avoid the threats to sufficiency, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 and 12 today. Now, although Paul has never visited Colossae, uh, he has been informed of the spiritual state of the Colossians by Epaphras. Uh, he has traveled Epaphras 1,600 miles and shared of the Colossians' faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for the saints. He has informed them of their love for one another. And yet it's evident that he has also informed the Apostle Paul of the threats to their faith. Indeed, as we go through chapter 2, we see that there are these spiritual threats, uh, evil men and imposters bringing forth things that appear to be and have the appearance of wisdom, but yet are of no value, verse 23 of chapter 2, against fleshly indulgence. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we want to do the right thing. We do fail. Praise the Lord, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But we want to do the right thing. And there are bad guys out there who will come and give you a system or methods or whatever it might be through the world's wisdom to deal with your flesh. And so what's the Apostle Paul's solution? It's a focus on the person of Jesus Christ. We see him praying for these Colossians in the beginning, chapter 1, thankful for their faith and love, and praying that they would be filled with the full knowledge of his will, filled, allowing God's word to control their every actions. And then we see he begins to address the uh, danger by turning his focus to the person of Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is uh, the supreme Lord of the first creation. It is through him it was brought forth, all things, whether invisible or visible. And he is also the supreme Lord of the new creation. He is the head of the church, uh, having been the one who gave himself for us, who brought about the forgiveness of sins. And then the Apostle Paul began in the end of chapter two, chapter 1 to start to show what genuine ministry looks like in comparison to the false stuff he would address in chapter 2. You'll remember we saw that authentic ministry has God's men ministering. Has a, Paul was a suffering servant of Christ Jesus 
uh, who was called by the Lord himself to minister and serve. He wasn't a hireling who came about through his own desire. God brought it forth. God brought him forth. And we also saw that authentic ministry preaches God's message. It is Christ proclaimed. Christ proclaimed. Uh, we have Christ proclaimed through the word. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then we saw God's method. He says, and we proclaim him, verse 28, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we may present every man complete in Christ. The method of ministry is that everybody would be taught the word of God, admonished and taught that they'd be presented complete in Christ. And Paul said, this is why I strive. This is what I strive and agonize doing. And then he talks about uh, those who have had their hearts knit together in love in chapter 2 and his struggle for them. His struggle for them that no one would take them captive. Uh, he points out that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, and there were those, as we'll see today, who were trying to pull people away so subtly from a dependence on the person of Jesus Christ. So how can we keep ourselves from being taken captive, uh, maybe knowingly or unknowingly? Well, let's take a look at our passage. And I want to turn back a little bit in our reading. We're going to look at verses 11 to 12 today. But this is a full section that flows all the way through. So I want to start in verse 8 and read through. And I'm going to have a lot of passages too. And feel free to turn there or feel free just to listen and you can jot them down later. Um, but uh, let's start in chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. This is Colossians 2.8, rather than according to Christ. That's really the main gist there is, is don't be taken captive. Um, for in him, speaking of Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And then now our passage. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, we're not going to have time to continue. I was initially going to go to verse 15, but there's just not enough time, but I want to read through that. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions. This is wonderful. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which were hostile to us, and he has taken them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. Amen. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And then he's going to go on and say, therefore, hey, don't let anyone uh, be your judge. And he says, don't let them religiously take you captive. And he'll give some specific examples. So how can we keep from being taken captive? Well, we've seen this already, and I want to review it because it goes all together. But remember, we saw in verse 8 that we were to see to it, we were to beware that we would not be uh, taken captive. Uh, you could translate it this way. See to it lest someone be captivating you all. Be alert or it's going to happen. Be alert or you're going to get taken. God is gracious. He gives us warnings to protect us. He loves us so much. And so see to it. And so here, well, how is it that 
one is uh, taken captive. Well, remember back in verse 3, in the end, we saw that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he said in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive arguments. We saw that, that there are persuasive arguments that you can be deluded by that pull you away so subtly from trusting in the sufficiency of Christ. And so he says that, hey, I say that, but we were to walk in the same way in which we came to faith. We see in verse 6 of chapter 2, as you have therefore received Christ, so walk in him. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you trusted in nothing but Jesus. You believed the truth that God brought forth in the gospel, that you're a sinner in need of salvation, and you crawled out to Jesus. You believed in Jesus. By faith, you did nothing. There was no work involved. You believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way, we're to walk day in and day out, trusting Jesus, believing his word, a personal relationship with him, relying on him. But there are threats to that relationship. There are threats to that. And so he says, see to it that no one take you captive. We saw, and I'm not going to go through this and reteach these portions, but we saw that people will bring... uh to you what they say is God's word or God's message, and they'll package it in persuasive religious arguments. But they are of no value against fleshly indulgence, verse 23. You see, when we trust in anything other than Christ alone, believing his word, trusting in him personally, when we add to what Christ has done, when we use, or as we will see, human wisdom to follow Jesus, we become captives. We become enslaved. So God loves us. He's a good father. He says, see to it that you beware lest you be taken captive. There are what I would say spiritual kidnappers out there. They kidnap believers and make them ineffective in their walk with Christ. They end up trusting in the world's wisdom to follow Jesus. And that never works. You see, Christ is who we need. And it's always uh, couched in religiousness. We see in verse 23 of chapter 2, it says, These are matters which, to be sure, have the appearance of wisdom. They appear wise, but actually we're taken captive. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy. That's the love of wisdom. Now, it's obviously human wisdom they're speaking of here because there's man's wisdom from below and God's wisdom from above. And empty deception. It's deception. It's hollow. It it brings about nothing. And he also says this, uh, that because in Christ we have everything we need in terms of wisdom. In him we have all, all are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So evil men and imposters will bring man's wisdom packaged in persuasive arguments, used it, uh, man's wisdom philosophically packaged religiously to deceive and lead believers astray rather than faithfully proclaiming the word of God uh, in whom and in Christ in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And the means in which they do so, we see it is uh, through philosophy and hollow or empty deception, verse 8. And then he says, according to, and we saw this, we went through this already, According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. That's the stoichio, um, that's the word stoichio, and it speaks of the ABCs, the way the world operates. It speaks of the tradition of men. Remember we saw that the Pharisees, they took man's tradition and they taught it as if it was God's 
uh, word. They, they, they took it and twisted it around. And so we have hollow, deceptive wisdom, human in origin, which, which, which encompasses a heart of pride and self-sufficiency and self-focus, by the way, uh, rather than a dependence on Jesus Christ. If people can pull you away from totally relying on Christ, you're, you'll get taken captive. If you have a system or a way to follow Jesus, then you're going to get taken captive. We need to rely on Jesus Christ alone. And so then, he says, see to it. Make sure you don't get taken captive. You don't get taken captive. And then he says, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. We walk according to Christ, according to relying on him. But there are these threats. So with that in mind, we continue our walk by faith in Jesus Christ, and we walk that way. We started that way, and we walk that way. So then, Christ is all we need, and his word is all we need. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus, the true knowledge of him. We have his precious and magnificent promises. God has ordained that we are built up through the word. Remember, we were born again through the living and abiding word of God, and we also are growing in respect to salvation through God's word. And then we saw last time that we need to rest in the sufficiency of Christ. But sadly, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Things haven't changed in churches these days. Sunday after Sunday, false teachers or deceived brethren give their flocks spiritual pep talks, uh, with, laced with video clips and clever and entertaining stories, illustrations with a few verses in or out of context sprinkled in. Usually they address, as I was taught in seminary, your felt needs, which is not what God does. God does not address our felt needs. He addresses what we truly need. And it points to us and our focus on our own selves and our problems rather than pointing us to Christ. And pointing us to Christ, admonishing every man that, and teaching every man that we might be presented complete in Christ. So in contrast to the bad guys taking you captive, uh, we are to focus on Christ. And notice he says, in the end of verse, verse 8, rather than according to Christ, and then here we begin some statements that go through the rest of this portion. For in him, or for, or, or for in him, or, or in whom. We'll see those. So these statements are about, first of all, about the person of Jesus Christ, his nature, and then secondly about our um, salvation in Christ. And so he says here, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. We saw this last time. And in him you have been made complete. You know, you have everything you need in Christ, and yet we don't think so. We get taken captive, and he is the head over our rule of authority. You might remember we saw in verse 9 this term for here is a different conjunction. There are different conjunctions in Greek. This one is the conjunction hadia. It means because. And you think about that. I can say take two aspirins for a headache. I'm not taking it to get a headache. I'm taking it because I have a headache. And so he's explaining here for in him all the fullness of deity dwells. Christ is fully God in human flesh. You don't need those other things. You need Jesus. And he says here, in him you have been made complete. You've been made complete. Remember, we saw this tremendous reality that God took on human flesh. That God the Son in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And we have the Word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. God the Son, eternally God, uh, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Son took on human flesh. And it says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Tremendous reality. We have a Savior who can sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who took on human flesh. We have a merciful high priest. Uh, we have, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 4, and our God will be forever, from the point of incarnation on, the God-man, fully God and fully man. Tremendous, wonderful reality. Tremendous. So we need to go to Jesus. Remember we saw in Hebrews chapter 4 that we are to, with confidence, boldly come before the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace in time of need to help. We need Jesus. We need the Lord Jesus, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's fully God in human flesh. He understands. He he empathizes. He sympathizes, yet without sin. Tested, Tempted in all things, yet without sin. So the false teachers want to pull us away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, but very subtly, with persuasive arguments. See to it, you don't get taken captive. God's protection for us is Christ. He's God. And in human flesh. And then also we saw that in him, verse 10, in him you have been made complete. We go, I don't feel complete. I feel pretty run down. I feel like I'm, like I'm getting old. I, I have troubles. I have issues. Uh, but we in Christ have been made complete. We have been saved. Our souls have been saved. We are new creations in Christ. And in Christ, although our body of flesh has not been redeemed yet, we're looking forward to being glorified. Uh, we are complete. In Christ, we're complete. That means when we abide in Jesus, we have everything we need. And his word abides in us. And see, that's where the false teachers get to. You've got to do this, this, and this instead. And I'll give some examples later. So here, you've been made complete. Tremendous statement that puts a, a lot of spiritual stuff out of business. In Christ, you've been made complete. Remarkable statement concerning the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Sufficiency of Christ. The implications of this verse are massive, and we talked about it last time. Uh, because we are in him, because of our relationship with him, we are filled to the brim, that's that verb. We have everything we need because of him. And I mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to read it for you. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and in Jesus, of Jesus our Lord. It's a relationship. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, that's the Lord Jesus, who called us to his own excellence and glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises. We have his word. We have his word. We don't need Christ plus a list of do's and don'ts. Yes, we obey the Lord, but we do that as we abide in him. His commandments are not burdensome. We don't need Christ plus some special knowledge. We don't need Christ plus some religious ritual. We don't need Christ, as we'll see later on in this chapter, and, and, and angels to help us out. We need Jesus Christ. We don't need to treat our bodies severely to be righteous. We need Jesus Christ. You'll see those examples later on. 
Do you believe that Christ is all you need? If you don't, you're going to get taken captive. You're going to get spiritually kidnapped. See to it that no one takes you captive. It means don't let it happen. And then lastly, we saw that he is head over all rule and authority. We saw that the rule and authority speaks of the angelic world, specifically the fallen angelic world. Those are those rulers and authorities under Satan, but Christ is head over them. He has complete victory over them. He is over them. Satan and his demons uh, were defeated at the cross. Jesus publicly defeated Satan and his cohorts of death. Uh, their only weapon being sin and its result, death. They have been disarmed, rendered powerless, publicly defeated, triumphed over. Christ did that. Christ did that. So then how can we escape the snare or trap of false teaching when it's so subtle and it's so persuasive? How can we do so? Well, we're going to see, as the rest of it goes from verses 11 to 15, we're only going to see 11 and 12, because in Christ we have complete salvation. In Christ we have complete salvation. Verse 11, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And then he goes on to talk about the forgiveness of sins, our sin debt having been nailed to the cross. Praise the Lord. And the defeat of Satan and his cohorts. So now as we begin our passage, long review, begin our passage here, we see the first portion here, it says, and in him you were also. Now literally here, you could translate it this way, in whom also. So we are to not be taken captive by these things rather than according to Christ, in whom, in whom, in him, in whom. You see, he's continuing that because... Jesus is God, because in him you have everything you need, because he's far above all the demons, and because in him you have a complete salvation. You have a complete salvation. That's what he's going to share. He says here, in whom, and we're going to see, we were circumcised. You go, what? What's going on here? We'll talk about that in a minute. With the circumcision of Christ. Here is the, um, here's kind of the, the way the verbs work here in whom also you were circumcised, circumcised of Christ, and buried and raised up with him in baptism. You were circumcised, that's the verb, and there's some particles, buried and then raised up with him. That's really the, 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 how these portions fit together. So in him we've been made complete. And so something happened when we were saved. When you believed, or if you believe today, Something happened we were saved. We were circumcised in Christ, he says here. He says, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You're going, what in the world is he talking about? Well, I think he's going to start nailing some of the false stuff. He's going to start hitting it head on with the truth. He's going to hit the head on with addressing really what circumcision is, the spiritual circumcision, and secondly, what baptism truly is. Because bad guys will come and say, hey, you got to follow these things. you got to do this stuff. Oh, you need to do this to be right with Jesus. And those are part of those things, I believe. We're going to see later on, he says, let no one act as your judge. And according to these Jewish things, he'll say, don't let them do that. 
Don't let them tell you you're spiritual by doing these things. Those things which are a shadow, but Christ is the fulfillment. See, the bad guys always focus on the shadows, by the way. That's how you can spot them. They focus on the external, not the meaning. So here we have this statement here. We're going, wait a second. What does he mean by this phrase? In him you were also circumcised. Is he speaking of physical circumcision? Well, we're going to see. No, he is not. He clarifies it. Look in verse middle of verse 11 with a circumcision without, made without hands. It's not physical. He clarifies that. So it's something else. But we need to understand how this is. So what is this idea of circumcision? Well, to understand what he's saying here, we need to understand the physical sign and symbol, and that will help us understand the spiritual reality. So what was physical circumcision? Well, a study of Scripture will shed light on that. And we see that although circumcision was required by the law, earlier in Genesis 17, we see that circumcision was the sign of God's covenant with Abraham. Genesis 17:11, and you shall be circumcised in the, foreskin, the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. God clearly says what it is. Now you think about what is a sign? What's a sign? A sign is something that points to something. When I'm driving along and I see a sign that says falling rocks, the sign is not the falling rocks. The sign is saying there's some falling rocks ahead. It's pointing me to something. It's, it's not the reality, but it is pointing me to a reality. And so here we see that this is the sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. Signs in and of themselves do not represent reality, but they point to them. The bad guys get you to focus on the signs rather than the realities. We're going to see that. They get you to focus on the keeping of the sign, the symbol, rather than the reality behind it. So, brothers and sisters, it's important to remember that God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12, which was based on faith. This covenant was salvific, that God would be their God. It was based on the reality that through Abraham's seed, uh, all the nations would be blessed. The Redeemer, Jesus Christ, would bring forth salvation. It was a a covenant between God and Abraham. Abraham didn't have to do anything. God did it all, and God does it all. Abraham believed, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so later on, we have that there's a there's a, a sign regarding this covenant. Turn to Romans chapter 4, because it talks about Abraham. And if you think about the flow of Romans, Romans, you have the theme of Romans, the righteous by faith shall live, chapter 1. And then it, God shows the unrighteousness of man, uh, the pagans who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, then the religious uh, Jews who are not saved, who, 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 who are under sin also, and then the summary that all are under sin, and then the solution, justification by faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 4, an explanation of what faith is by looking at Abraham. And so as we look at Romans 4, he says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was back in Genesis 12. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as favor, but what is due. 
But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed, Psalm 34, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you receive his righteousness and your sin is not imputed to you. It was put on Christ. He bore it on the cross and we are declared righteous. But then notice what he says here. Is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. And the father of circumcision to those, not only of the circumcision, but all who fall in the steps of faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Saying basically, Abraham was saved before the sign. He was saved. He was declared righteous. The sign was a sign of that relationship. And therefore, God commanded that, right? We see that because they were supposed to turn to the Lord their God and trust with Him with all their heart. They were to love with all their heart, mind, and soul. But we know the Jews did not do so by faith. We know that, Hebrews chapter 4. So, Abraham received the seal of righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised. It was an outward symbol based on his... uh Trust in the Lord, uh, the seed of Abraham, the, the seed that would come. Uh, he believed the truth. He believed the truth. Now, although we see circumcision spoken of in the, later on in the Mosaic Covenant, it's not the sign of the law. It's not the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It is the sign of God's covenant with Abraham. And as we're going to see, circumcision was an outward symbol, and it always meant to represent an inward heart change. It always was that way, even back in the Old Testament. Now, in Romans chapter 2, a passage that has been woefully misinterpreted by those who want to turn the church into Israel, Paul is making the case that Jews are under sin. And in proving his case, he says the true Jew, in contrast to the outward hypocrite, is the one who has had a heart change. Romans chapter 2. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, Neither is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. He's saying, regarding the Jews, somebody says, I'm a Jew in the context of a Jew of the Lord, say, you're not a true Jew unless you've been, unless you've had a heart change. The outward symbol doesn't make you a true Jew. The heart change does. The heart change does. So with that in mind, this principle applies to all of us, Abraham's spiritual children by faith in Jesus. Notice this same spiritual reality, uh, the need for the cleansing of the heart, spoken of in Romans 2, is threaded throughout the Old Testament. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10, Deuteronomy 10, 10 verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens and the earth and all that is in it. Yet your fathers did, yet, yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. 
And he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples. As it is this day, circumcise then your heart, stiffen your necks no more. It's a heart change. It's a heart change. Jeremiah chapter 4. You can turn to Jeremiah chapter 4. We have the Jews of Jerusalem and Judah who are in rebellion. They're in sin and God is about to bring his judgment and exile into Babylon. And Jeremiah shares this from the Lord. Jeremiah 4 verse 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up the fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart. There needs to be a heart change. There needs to be a heart change. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God, this is who does it, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, or that you may live. If you don't love the Lord, then and you never have, you never have a desire to, then maybe your heart has been changed. It's still hardened by sin. But what God does is when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He, in a sense, spiritually removes that that covering, in a sense, and our heart is now able to to interact with the Lord. The sin has been removed. The attitudes, the sin, the the, the as we'll see, removed through the circumcision of Christ. So here, back in our passage, you see, we have hardness of heart before we come to faith. We got sin. And our flesh, sin corrupt is deceived. It needs to be cut away. It needs to be cut away. And so there's the picture. So back in our passage, Colossians 2.11, we have the same principle revealed here. And in him, that's speaking of Christ, or in whom, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. The removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And Christ circumcised your heart when you got saved. He circumcised your heart. You had a hard heart, you got saved, now you, you get it. You get it. Your heart is sensitive to the truth, it's sensitive to sin. You understand now. So he says, not the, he says, not the removal of the body of flesh here. He, so he says, in the, in, in the removal of the body of flesh, uh, in him we see that this was made without hands. It's not a physical act, it's a spiritual act. Now this term translated removal might be helpful to understand. Apodusis, it literally means to take off clothes. Putting them off. And so here, it's interesting, can also speak of disarming. Later on in verse 15, we're going to see that Christ had disarmed the rulers and authorities. And so here, we see that what God has done through Jesus Christ, marvelous, marvelous thing. We see that when we come to faith, we were circumcised, not an outward symbol, but we, without hands, is the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Remember in Deuteronomy, we saw that the Lord will circumcise our heart that we would love him. It's going to take away the hardness, that that flesh that is in the way. Okay? That's what he does. We're changed. We're new creations. We're new creations. It speaks of the hardness of the sinful heart being that's covering it, being cut away by Christ. So then, physical circumcision was the sign of the covenant that made with Abraham. It was an external action that always symbolized an internal heart change through faith in the Messiah and thus the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So what did we do? What happened when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ? He removed the flesh in the sense that, as we'll see, because we still, we're saying, I still got this flesh. I still struggle with it. He removed the flesh in the sense that it has been disarmed completely. In that sense. We can see that in Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. Let's turn there. Paul is agonizing. He wants to do the right thing, but he finds himself doing the wrong thing. And Romans chapter 7 is just just showing us our inability to do what God wants us to do apart from Jesus. Inability to do it. Romans chapter 7. I find then the principle of evil present in me, verse 21, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law or principle working in my members of my body, waging war against the law or principle of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man am I that I that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We've been set free. The power of sin no longer has hold on you when you abide in Christ. When you abide in Jesus, the power of sin doesn't have a hold on you. It doesn't have hold. All the false guys want to show you how to deal with sin through systems rather than relying and trusting in Jesus Christ. Sin has been defeated at the cross. The power of sin has been defeated. It's been defeated. So we are all Abraham's spiritual children by faith. And if you have trusted in Lord Jesus Christ, you have been circumcised in your heart. You now have the capability to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. You now have the capability to abide in Jesus Christ. You have the capability to respond to him because, as we'll see in a moment, we have the Spirit of God in us. We have Christ in us. Do you realize Christ has removed the power of our sinful nature inherited from Adam? We do not have to yield to sin. We'll see this in Romans chapter 6. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How to those, how will those who died to sin still live in it? He says later on, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And that's only in the context of recognizing our relationship with Christ, as we'll see, and who Christ is and what he's done. Yes, do we struggle? Yes, do we fail? We as believers, we're the confessors of sin. We get convicted. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're those who are convicted about sin. We're not walking, just sinning up and not worrying about it. We're actually confessing we're forgiven. We're those who are forgiven. We have, we've had a heart change. The heart of stone has been replaced. We can now respond to the Lord. We have a changed heart. We have his word that works in our hearts now. We have his spirit that works in our hearts now. So then, have you been circumcised? And you know what I mean, not externally. I'm talking about a heart circumcision. Brothers and sisters, you don't need a system on how to handle or manage anger. You need Jesus. You don't need a book on how not to lust. You need Jesus. You don't need to make promises to God or other people. We need Christ. We need to renew our minds in Christ and then abide in him. When we abide in him and his word in us, then we're able to walk with him and he delivers us. Delivers us. 
Not all the time. We're not perfect. We know we sin. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. But we confess when we fail. The power of the flesh has been removed. Now, in, when we're in the flesh, when we yield to it, we don't feel like it's been removed. When, you, we, when we offer ourselves to sin, we become slaves to sin. When you yield to sin and you haven't confessed it, you are, you are a slave to that sin, just like you were before. But we are set, we've been set free in Christ. That's how we're free from sin. We confess and He delivers us, He forgives us. We have forgiveness. We'll see that in the next portion. We have complete salvation. False guys want to come on and say, here's how you get out of it. Here's how you stop sinning. Here's the way you do it religiously. You need to treat your body hard. You need to have help of angels. Uh, you need to have rules. You need to have this and that. You need to follow the Old, the Old Testament law. You need to do this and that. Whatever they, have, they, they bring in things. They twist it to get you to follow those things. The externals. You need to do this external thing. Rather than trust in Christ. Don't get taken captive. In him we have been made complete. Okay, so it's an inward work. When you believe in Jesus, he, 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 he changes your heart. That's what he does. He changes your heart. Then notice back in our passage, verse 12, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, if I was to talk to you and, you know, you walk in the door and I say, having been buried with him, you'd say, well, wait a second, that's not a full sentence. There's, there's more to the sentence. It's connected to what we just read. You have been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ, that without hands, having been buried with him. This is really how it happened. This is how it happened. This is how God brought about your deliverance from sin and your changed heart. He's going to explain that. Because later on he's going to say, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking above. Hey, if this is the reality of who you are. So he says here, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Here we see that verse 12 is connected to what we saw and it is our union with Christ and his work. We've got to understand this. We've got to understand this. He says, having been, if you look at it, verse 12, having been buried with him, then in the middle of verse 12, with which you were also raised with him. We have a participle, having married, and the verb you were raised up, raised up with. And they're in an aorist tense. What does that mean? Completed action. It's done. It's not being done. It has been done. It's already done. It's already done. And it's in a passive voice, meaning we didn't do it, but the action was brought upon us. So he says here, we were buried with him, speaking of Christ, in baptism, in which we were also raised up with him, speaking of Christ, through faith. Now, I understand the idea of being buried, and I understand the being raised, but what's this mean in this context? We were buried and raised with Jesus in baptism. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I think he's going to start to nail another nail in the false teachers who would say, hey, you've got to be baptized to be saved. Hey, you've got to do something where they take the symbol rather than the reality underneath, and they flop it on its head. Same thing with circumcision. They take that. You've got to do this. Uh, the Galatians were having this problem. Paul said to you, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You began by the Spirit. You're going to be perfected by the flesh. They were trying to tell him to get circumcised. Say, no, that's the symbol of what has happened to me in Christ. 
But to understand this term baptism, we need to understand, we need to understand it, by the way. There are two words in the New Testament that were not translated into English. They were transliterated. One is deacon and one is baptism. If you look at deacon, it's diaconos. You look at baptism, it's baptizo. So we have the words from where they came from. Now we sort of understand them. But what does it mean to be baptized? What does this word mean? It's really important we understand. The term bapto or baptizo means to dip or immerse. That's what it means. And as we're going to see, it speaks of identification. You say, what do I mean? In this day, when you would take a piece of cloth and you would baptize it into dye, it would come out identified with the new color. It was identified with. It was placed into and identified with. It speaks of an action that symbolizes identification. You say, wait a second, where do you get that? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Excuse me, 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I hope I have that one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see here, I don't have have it with me here, but uh, we see here that uh, the Israelites were baptized into Moses. Look at that. Baptized into Moses. Baptized into Moses? What does that mean? They were identified as following him in that sense. They were identified with. They were baptized. Let me use that word. Placed into. Okay? In short, baptism speaks of being placed into or identified with. It means to dip. Paul is simply speaking of here in our question that we were put in union with Christ's death to sin and his resurrection life. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and went in the grave, he died to sin. He bore our sins and he went in the grave. And when he rose, he rose from the dead in newness of life. And and even Romans will say you were crucified with him or co-crucified. It's as though our old man was put on the cross too and crucified. So we are dead to sin when we are in Christ. We abide in him. And we are alive to God when we abide in Christ. Very important. And this happened when we believe. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, it's not talking about water baptism, listen to it. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And he says here, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. When you believed, the spirit of God placed you into union with Christ. You were placed into the body of Christ. You were identified with, baptized into Christ. That's what Galatians chapter 3, 27 says. For you are all who were baptized into Christ have closed yourself with Christ. Now you say there's different baptisms. Well, there's a baptism of John. There's a baptism of water baptism. There's what, what, what's going on here? Well, God says there's really only one real baptism. Ephesians chapter 4. For there is one faith, one baptism. And that is the Spirit placing us into union with Jesus Christ. Back in our passage, it's very clear. There's one baptism. Now, water symbolizes that. Absolutely. It's an outward symbol to everyone to see that you have been identified with Christ. You've died to your old life and raised in newness of life. It is through the Holy Spirit we are immersed, placed into the body of Christ, spiritually speaking. It is how we partake of him. And that's when our hearts were circumcised. In Romans chapter 6, let's take a look there again. We see this, Romans chapter 6. So when you think of baptism, think of being identified with, put in union with. 
in union with. And Paul in Romans 6 is going to talk about baptism as the first example, and he's going to talk about a union after that. He's going to use two examples. Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Hey, you're dead to sin. Or do you not know? you got to know this. Don't be ignorant that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, who have been placed into a relationship with him, it says, have been baptized into his death. You've been united with his death. So when Jesus died to sin, we died to sin also. We have died to sin. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. Then he gives a different example from, rather than baptism. For if we have become united, that's a botanical example of putting a plant together in that sense. United with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was literally co-crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This is marvelous. When you believed in Jesus, you were placed into union with him, and his work on the cross applies to you. His death to sin and his, his life to God, it applies to you. It's tremendous, wonderful reality. Therefore, sin is no longer master. It's no longer master. We don't have to be slaves. It says, for the death he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all, that the life, and life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. We can go to him. We don't, sin doesn't have to control you anymore. We let it happen at times. We do offer ourselves to sin, and we, so we feel the, the horrible reality of that. We're, you know, we're not to, uh, we're stay away from, we're stay away from fleshly lusts, we're wage war with our soul. We know that. Right? So then, you say, we've been baptized with Jesus. I understand that. But what about water baptism? You see, water baptism is a picture of what God did to us spiritually. It is a picture. And when you are water baptized, you're not saved when you're water baptized. You are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we are baptized by the Spirit at that point. We're placed by Christ. And then in obedience to the Lord's commands, we show everyone what has happened to us. We are dead to our old life and raised in newness of life. And the bad guys come around and say, you need to be water baptized to be saved. That's part of being obedient. You need to be circumcised to be saved or right with God. No, that's a sign of a relationship through faith. So then, salvation is not fixing up our old nature. It's a transformation from death to life. Death to life. So then, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. It is God's work by faith. It's by faith. It's not a work of your own action. It is by faith. That's back in our passage. We were saved through faith in Jesus Christ, being put in union with him and all he did. An internal change, not an external work. And guess what? That's going to protect you from being taken captive. Because the bad guys bring external works to help you follow Jesus and you'll be taken captive. You have everything you need in Jesus. You have been made complete. You've been placed into union with him. When you are struggling with sin, you need to confess. If you have sinned, But if you haven't sinned, you need to go to Jesus Christ. 
You need to allow his word to direct your path. Thy word I have hid in my heart that I would not sin against thee. Uh, the, the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. Uh, the Lord enables us to do it. And when we fail, praise the Lord, we confess and we're forgiven. But we don't just keep doing it so we can have grace would abound. No, may it never be. We've died to sin because we are in union with Jesus Christ. Paul would say, um, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I recognize when I abide in Jesus, I'm set free. I'm set free from the flesh. I'm set free from sin when I abide in Jesus' word in me. Now it's not, we don't, can't do it always perfectly. We confess our sins and we fail. We're growing. But he uses his word to grow us in respect to salvation. So then, don't be taken captive. Because guess what? It's real easy to go to a book or a person to say, this is how I gotta deal with my sin. This is how I gotta deal with my attitude towards my spouse. This is how I gotta deal with this and that. Rather than going to the Lord Jesus and humbling yourself and trusting him and abiding in him. The solution is Jesus Christ. And you have everything you need in him if you trust in him. We need to rest in the sufficiency of Christ. Bad guys want you to get circumcised, make, get baptized, whatever it might be. I'm not saying we don't get baptized. That's an obedience, but that's an outward symbol. They're saying it does something for you. No, it's a symbol in obedience. Rather than trusting in Christ, rather than trusting in him. So then, we have a good father in heaven who doesn't want us to be hurt spiritually who doesn't want our relationship with Jesus to be hindered by sin. And so, are you going to be taken captive? Maybe some of you have already been taken captive. You have a system of how you deal with your sinfulness rather than personally trusting in Jesus Christ, rather than personally allowing his word to change your heart, to to make you see things rightly, to help you, rather than allowing his spirit to direct you and guide you. Don't be taken captive. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for these marvelous truths that uh, we don't feel, but we see them, and we, we, we thank you by faith for what you have done in your son Jesus, that our hearts have been circumcised. They've been, the, the flesh has been removed in that sense, the, the sinful flesh in that sense, that we are, we've been redeemed. We are now righteous, Lord God. We praise you for that. And we praise you that we've been united with your son Jesus, that his death applies to us and his life applies to us. Help us to remember that, that when we abide in Christ, we are dead to sin. And when we abide in him, we can freely go to you. We have life. Pray that we would consider ourselves dead to sin, but alive to you. Father, protect us from the evil one and from those who would come and package arguments in persuasive ways to to tempt us to trust in things so subtly other than the sufficiency of your Son. So we thank you for your Son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.